What will it take to turn America around? It's going to take the same formula, the same ingredients, that King Hezekiah brought revival to Judah. I'm Chad Roberts, and I want to welcome you to Awaken to Grace today as we continue our great study through the kings of the Old Testament. And today we come to one of my absolute favorite kings, King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah, God raised him up to bring revival to Judah. His father, King Ahaz, was one of the worst kings in all of history, but yet God took Hezekiah out of the mess he was born into, out of the messed up family he was raised in, and God raised him up. Friends, we're going to learn great principles today, principles that we can implement, principles we can pray for our own country, for our own nation, because as you know, we need God to turn things around. Could it be that the lowest ebb means the turning of the tide? Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed today as we study the first part of King Hezekiah's life in this sermon called The King Who Brought Revival. So go to 2 Chronicles 29. I want you to note verse 1. He became king at the young age of 25 years old. He reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. You know what's interesting about King Hezekiah? He lived during the times that Isaiah prophesied, that Hosea prophesied, and that Micah prophesied. He lived an extraordinary life in an extraordinary time. King Hezekiah would have been a teenager when the northern kingdom became captive and fell. And he would have watched all of that take place. He was a teenager when the Samaritans became a people. And you know what all that led to in the times of Jesus in the New Testament. And so King Hezekiah saw many things in his life and he came to the throne young at age 25. He reigned 29 years. And verse 2 tells us like all the other kings, he either did what was right in the eyes of the Lord or he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And thank God he walked in the ways of his father David and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He held fast to God, he trusted in God and as a result everything he did prospered in the Lord. Now verse 3 is the great contrast to last week. Do you remember at the end of chapter 28 last week, his father, King Ahaz, what did he do at the end of the chapter? He shut the doors to the house of the Lord. And I want you to note what King Hezekiah did in verse 3. He opened the doors to the house of the Lord, and he restored it. Hallelujah. I want you to note verse number 5. Once he opened the doors to the house of the Lord, he gave a great command. And this is a command that I think is for our day. Remember, I want to talk today about the king who brought revival. 
I want to know what would bring revival to our nation today. Vincent and I went and had a great lunch yesterday, and on the way back, he was talking about, you know, you study the kings as we've been doing, and sometimes they were in high points, and sometimes they were in very low points, depending on who was in leadership. And is our nation not at an all-time low today? Are we not in trouble today? This is the map. Of how we climb out of this mess. This is the roadmap. This is the playbook of what you and I, as Christ followers, are to do. I want you to know specifically, verse number five, what did he command? He commanded the priest to remove, to get rid of all filthiness out of the house of God. What a word this is to our families today. How much filthiness is in our lives? How much filthiness do we allow into our homes? Since going blind, I watch very little, if basically no television today. Before I went blind, I would watch a lot of TV. You know, I had my shows. I'd DVR something. I'd follow a series. I'd binge watch, whatever. Now, after losing sight, I have no interest in it. And I watch very, very, very little, really nothing. And the other night, I sat down with Sadie, and I was listening to whatever she was watching. And I was shocked. Those of you who have Netflix, what good comes out of Netflix now? It's filth. What they were talking about, what they were doing. Oh, it takes me back to the kings of Israel. What's, what's been the problem in all of our study? Idolatry. You know, you know how I know that for many of us, our televisions are our idols? Because every piece of furniture faces it. You know how I know our phones and our tablets are idols? Because of the FaceTime we give it. And rather than being a cookie-cutter church like I've seen so many in the past, rather than us saying, oh, you can do this, you can't do this, this is acceptable, this is not acceptable. No, let me tell you what God's looking for today. God's looking for a people with a sensitive heart who would just say, God, does this please you or no? And if it doesn't, then the filthiness goes in Jesus' name. Amen? And we don't have to tell people what to do and what not to do and what to watch and not to watch and what to engage in and not engage. No, the Spirit of God will tell you if the Spirit of God is in you. And I want you to note carefully what Hezekiah did. He commanded all the filthiness to go. He commanded all the idolatry to go. In other words, they made themselves incredibly sensitive to the Lord. Verse number nine, they even make mention. Our, husband, our, our wives, our children, many, many of our wives and children, many of our family, they're held captive today. And I began to wonder, are some of our prodigals held captive because of our own sins? What would happen if we really got sin out of our lives? Would many of our prodigals come home? 
Would many of the spiritually captive come free? Could it be that the church is in the mess she's in today while we don't see more people that are held captive set free? Could it be our fault as it was Judas? Say amen if you're with me right now. You're going to chat. I thought today was good news. Oh, we're getting there. I promise. (laughs) Verse number 10. So here's what the king does. The king says, with all my heart, I'm going to make a new covenant with the Lord. If you're going to take notes today, I'm going to talk to you today about what will bring about revival in our land. And when we talk about revival, I think this is where many of us miss it today. I think so many think of revival as emotionalism. We see it as God doing something that stirs our emotions. We think of sensationalism and emotionalism. And if it's not God moving us toward emotions, then revival must not be taking place. That's not true. I want you to note this. Revival begins with a decision. This king said, with all my heart, I'm going to make a new covenant unto the Lord. Revival begins when God's people make a decision. I'm going with God. All the filth is going to go. All the worldliness is going to go. All the carnality is going to go. All the ungodliness is going to go. All of the apathy is going to go. I'm going forward with God. That's when revival begins. And I'm afraid that so many of us in the church, we're, we're looking to God and we're saying, God, when are you going to send the fires of revival? And I think God's looking at us and saying, when are you going to make the decision to go? And we are waiting on an emotion. God's waiting on decisions, decisiveness. God's waiting on us to go forward with him. And so verse number 10, he says, with all my heart, I'm going to make this new covenant with God. He makes this great decision. He doesn't mark this revival with emotionalism or sensationalism. No, he marks it by saying, I am going forward with God. What a thing. Now, verse 11, I want you to note what he does. He tells, as he's gathered all the priests and all the Levites, he says, my sons, do not be negligent. Oh, I love that. Don't neglect your work. Don't neglect the seriousness of this. You stand in the presence of the Lord. Don't be negligent in your service. Oh, my friends, what a word to the church of this day. What a word to us today. Are we negligent in our work for the Lord? Do you have your hand to the plow? Are you engaged in what God's doing in the earth today? Are you engaged in praying for this nation? Are you engaged in repenting on behalf of this nation? Are you engaged in the global efforts of God? Are you engaged in missions? Are you engaged in outreach? Are you engaged with the homeless? Are you engaged working with the next generation of our children? Are you engaged with students? Are you engaged in the kingdom of God? There are multiple, multiple places, multiple ways for you to set your hand to the plow. There is no reason whatsoever for anyone to say, well, I just can't do anything. That's not true. Are we negligent? 
Friends, I want you to understand this is where the sparks of revival begin to fly. This is where it all begins to happen when we as a people humble ourselves and we say, we will not neglect the work of the Lord. We'll make it top priority. They were not going to be negligent. What a word for this hour in all of our busyness, in all of our responsibilities. Where does the kingdom of God rank within your life? I want to rank it number one. So now verse 12, the priests rise up. Verses 12 to 18, they're going to cleanse the entire temple. They're going to remove all of the filthiness, all of the idolatry. Remember that wicked altar we studied last week that Ahaz brought down from Damascus? Oh, they're going to get rid of it all. And they begin to cleanse the house of the Lord. It's opened once again. I love that. Now, very interesting, beginning in verses 20, 21, 22, 23. They reinstitute the sacrifices. Now, there's a word here for us. You'll note how they threw the blood on the altar. Now, why is this so significant? Why is it so significant? Why did blood matter to God? Have you ever wondered that? All through the Old Testament, why did he demand blood sacrifices? And why in the New Covenant must it be the blood of Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God? Because do you remember what sin is? Sin is death. And do you remember what the Bible says of blood? The life of the flesh is in the what? Blood. To atone for death, you must have life. And life is in blood. It takes blood to cover sin. So, to the best of their ability, according to the law, they covered their sin for atonement. But let me tell you, friends, this is another mark of revival. We will not have revival, true revival, until we humble ourselves, until we consecrate ourselves, until we remove all the filthiness. We will not have revival until we put our hand to the plow and we not neglect the workings of God and the kingdom of God in our daily life. But let me tell you, we will not have revival if we don't make the blood of Jesus the feature. Nothing else can atone for sin. Nothing else can forgive sin. Nothing. Your best works, your best intentions, your greatest morals, they all fall short. It must be the blood of Jesus or nothing else. Do you know how many churches today refuse to sing about the blood? Do you know how many churches have removed all songs of the blood and will not even... Then what will they do to atone for their sin? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And Christ's blood was shed once and for all that our sin may be forgiven. Can we say amen to that? And so they get back to the basics. They get back to what God expects. They get back to what God demands. 
And now they begin to systematically go through the animal sacrifices. They take the blood and they sprinkle it upon the altars, pleasing God, atoning for sin. But there's another thing I want you to note here. Verse number 24. They make atonement for Jerusalem? No. For the house of David? No. For the kingdom of Judah? No. Who do they make atonement for? For all of Israel. For the nation. You know what I thought of as I was studying this this week? The Lord just reminded me. Chad, your congregation, what are you, what are you praying toward? I think, you know, if you pay attention to the news and you watch what's happening within the nation. You know, in many respects, it's as though we live in, in, in a different area of the country, right? We're, we're, we're in this area that is not quite as affected as other places of the nation. And so much immorality, and so much violence, and so much crime, and so much of the horrible things. But the Lord gave me a word here. The Lord said, Chad... Your church should be praying for the nation. They didn't have their four and no more. They didn't have just their little temple and their little city and their little slice of the kingdom. No, they made atonement for the entire nation. Do you repent on behalf of our nation? Or do you feel too small, too insignificant? Do you feel like you're nobody? No, my friends, we need to be repenting. We need to be interceding on behalf of our country. Say, can we say amen to that? Your praying matters. Your praying matters. Let us pray for our country and not just our city, not just our church, not just our community, not just our family or our region. Let us intercede for the nation. Now, Verse 24, they make atonement for the entire nation. Up to verse 18, they cleanse the temple. Then they begin the animal sacrifices, putting back into place what God demanded, what God required. Now I want you to note verse 30, verse 31. All through the rest of those verses, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, they begin to sing to the Lord. Verse 30, verse 31, they're singing with all gladness. They're singing with all their might. God is blessing his people. The presence of the Lord is with them. They're pleasing unto God. Verse 31, when it was all complete, the Bible says that they bowed themselves down and they worshiped God. Is that part of your life? Not part of church. Is it part of life that you worship God? In the quietness of your own home, do you ever get on your knees and bow yourself low before the Lord? Do you ever close yourself off and bow yourself low before the Lord? Friends, He sees those things. He values those things. Those things matter to the Lord. And however busy you are and all of life that you're doing and 
everything that you have going, what would happen if you took time with no noise and no distractions and you just began to bow yourself and you said, Lord, here I am. I worship you. What a precious thing. Verse 35 tells us that the house of the Lord was restored. The service of God began to take place again. But there was a problem. And you know what the problem is that we're going to see in the next chapter? Verse number 34, they didn't have enough priests. They were so anemic spiritually. They weren't ready for such a revival. And verse 35, thus the service of the house of the Lord was restored. And then verse 36. Oh, help me somebody. What does verse 36 say? Suddenly. It came to me. Suddenly. What happened? All of these things happened suddenly. Friends, I'm asking God for a sudden move of God in our nation. The lowest ebb is the turning of the tide. Are we at the lowest ebb now? Quite possibly. But like the priest, are we ready for a move of God? What would happen if all of a sudden people, God sent such a mighty awakening that, that what would we do with them? Do we have enough small groups? Do we have enough facilitators? Do we have enough people to disciple others? Do we have enough people who will baptize and walk with others through discipleship? Are we ready? Or would we be like Judah? We'd be so anemic. We're not quite there. Go to the next chapter with me. Chapter 30. So all of these things happen suddenly. I want you to know... This was not a revival of emotionalism, although emotions are part of it. They, they sang with gladness. There was joy in their hearts. God's not against emotions. We just are not to be led by emotions. We're to be led by the Holy Spirit. God's not against emotions. He created us to be emotional. Where we go wrong is when we are driven by our emotions. That's when we get wrong. So... You turn the page in chapter 30, verses 1 to 4. I want you to note again, they are anemic. They don't stop at the sudden move of God. They go further. They say we haven't done the Passover the way God expects. The Passover has not been instituted year after year. King Hezekiah says, I want to host the nation for Passover. I want to send word, I want to make a decree, and I want to send letters and couriers all over the kingdom and bring people together for Passover. Boy, they're not done. They're going to press into this revival. And so they make the decree, and they begin to send out all over the country word. And I want you to note verse 8. They say, listen, don't be like your fathers. Don't be like your brothers who were stiff-necked toward God and hardened their hearts toward God. You see the destruction that came upon them. Let me tell you, Hezekiah knew exactly what he's talking about. Remember, his father was Ahaz. His father burned his brothers alive as a sacrifice. 
He was a wicked man. You know, I can't read this without thinking so many of you come out of messed up homes. So many of you come out of families where your father was neglectful or worse, your father was very abusive. You come out of families where drugs dominated and uh, drinking dominated, alcoholism dominated, violence dominated. Many of you know what it is to come out of a dark and a terrible home life. And I'm telling you, Hezekiah was not his father. Amen. And I want to tell you, God redeems out of dysfunctional homes. And God redeems out of messed up families. And who your parents were is not who you are. Amen. God redeems out of those messes. And God redeemed Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was able to rise above his parents. Hezekiah was able to rise above the wickedness of his father. And Hezekiah didn't let that follow him into his destiny. And you shouldn't either. You can rise above it just as Hezekiah did. Praise God. Verse number 9. Again, just like in the previous chapter, Hezekiah is going to say, listen, we have captives. And if we would return to the Lord, our captives would come home. Is that a word for many of us today? That if we would remove the filth, if we would cleanse the temple, if we would get serious with God, if we would return back to the Lord, would our captives not come home as well? What a word. Verse number 10. Refresh me, please. What does verse 10 say? So they went from city to city. And what did many do? Many laughed them to scorn. They laughed at them. Friends, not everyone's going to be serious as you are with God. Not all of your family is going to follow you. Not all of your co-workers, not all of your friends. Let me tell you, this church of this generation better be ready for some persecution. We better be ready for people to laugh. And we better be ready for people to mock and scorn. We better be ready for people to persecute. Not everyone's going to go the way of God. But I want you to note verse 11. But there were some who did what? Who humbled themselves. Now that's where it gets worth it. Every mockery, every laughter to scorn was worth it for those who humbled themselves. And what was the result of such action, verse number 12, the hand of God was on Judah. Let me tell you what makes all the difference. In Acts, I believe it was, I believe it was chapter 11. There were certain brothers. The Bible don't even give us their names. It just says there were certain brothers who went to Antioch. They founded the church of Antioch. And we don't even know their names. But do you know what we know about them? Oh, the Bible says the hand of God was on them. Oh, do you know what makes the difference in our lives? Is when the hand of God is on us. You know what makes the difference in this church? Is when the hand of God is on us. 
Do you know what we measure more than anything? Do you know what the very pulse? Do you know how we detect if we are healthy or not? It's not offerings. It's not attendance. Do you know how many people's in the building today? I have no idea. I never find out till I'm done preaching. That's one of the blessings of blindness. I don't care if it's packed. I don't care if it's slim pickings. I preach the same every time. People can smile as big as they want, or they can be as mad as they can be, and it don't affect me none. Somebody can storm out, and I don't care. I just keep going. I can't even see them. It don't discourage me one inch. It's not offerings. It's not attendance. It's not programs. It's not events. Do you know how we know if we're healthy or not? It's the hand of God on us. That's how we know. It's the hand of God on us. Oh, then Chad, how do you know that? Where's our prayer life? It's the only way it comes. It's the only way it comes. Through prayer and nothing else. That's why Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. It's the only way it comes. And so God's hand is on them. Help me. After verse number 12. Oh, come on, Chad. Go through your files. Ah. So they continue. They are cleansing. They are reforming. Revival is here. Verse number, help me please, uh, let me go around verse number 20, 21. Help me with those verses. Oh, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Look at verses, look at verses 17 and 18. Now remember, what is their one problem? They're responding to the Lord. The Lord's helping them. But here's the problem. They're so spiritually anemic that they still can't quite get everything together. They've cleansed the temple and they've done well. And now they're trying to cleanse and consecrate themselves. And there's just simply not enough priests to handle all the people. And there's not enough priests to handle all the sacrifices. And now, because this decree has gone out, now you have people flooding into Jerusalem over the entire nation. The entire kingdom is coming out. Yes, yeah, some are laughing and some are mocking and they're laughing to scorn, but many are turning back to the Lord. And they get to Jerusalem and they get to the Passover and now it's time to make Passover and now there's not enough priests to consecrate and the people are not consecrated. And here's the most beautiful principle of all. They eat. They break law. They eat when they're not purified. They eat when they've not been consecrated. And King Hezekiah prays this amazing prayer of intercession in verses 19 and 20. And he goes, perhaps the Lord will see our hearts. And the Lord does. And look, notice the specific language. And the Lord heals them. Do you know what's going on? 
Remember in verse number 11, they humbled himself. And now in verses 20 and 21, the Lord heals them. Do you know what that reminds me of? Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, what will God do? He says, I will hear them and I will heal their land. Is this not 714 coming to fruition? And you know what the principle is? Say amen if you're with me right now. God does not expect perfection out of you. God expects your heart to be right. And you know what? Even though they tried with all their might and they couldn't quite hit the mark and they were so anemic, they couldn't get everything done in time. And, and, and it just they, they tried with But you know what? God blessed. God blessed the fact that they tried with all their might. God blessed the fact that they put their hand to the plow. God blessed the fact that they were not negligent. And even in the end, when it looks like they come up short, they didn't in the eyes of God. And that's exactly where many of you are, my friends. You don't feel like you're spiritual enough. You don't feel like you measure up. You feel like you blow it all the time. You feel like you'll never get to where you see other people are. But let me tell you, you're right with God if your heart is right. And you know what the principle is? God is far more interested in our heart than he is religious ceremony. Far more interested in the heart than he is a religious checklist. Praise God. So put your checklist away. Humble yourself down before the Lord. Worship him as he desires. And you're going to be just fine, my friends, in the eyes of the Lord. Boy, Satan tried to steal that, didn't he? He didn't want us to go over that point. Verses 21 to 27. Revival extends into another week. They're going to go another two weeks. Or make it two weeks. And verse number 26. Somebody tell me what verse 26 says about Hezekiah. There was great joy in Jerusalem. There was none like him. Not since Solomon. Friends. What does God want to do in our midst? What's it going to take? Humbling ourselves down. Getting a right heart before God. That will bring revival. Now, as I begin to close, go to chapter 31. And I want you to look at verses 1 and 2. Now, there's a principle here that I want to draw from. Revival is not emotionalism and it's not sensationalism. Revival boils down to godly decisions. What began with a godly decision, we're going to cleanse the temple, we're going to open the house of the Lord, we're going to remove all the filth, we're going to institute the sacrifices that God demands, we're going to get right with God. I want you to look at where it ends. Verses 1 and 2. Then it went from the temple into all the land. And they destroyed all of their idols. Friends, revival is not emotions. Do you know what revival always leads to? A pure life. That's the purpose of revival. 
And I'm afraid that many of us in the church today, we're waiting on revival as though we're going to feel some great emotion. Oh, that'll be part of it once it comes. But that's not the main point. Revival is going to come when we humble ourselves down. And when we remove all idols out of our life. You go on through chapter 31. The people respond. And you know what begins to happen? Heaps. Heaps of offerings. People begin to bring their cattle. They begin to bring their animals. They begin to bring their grain and their first fruits. And all of these offerings begin to come in. Boy, I read that. I think about you and what you've done this summer for First John. I think about how many people come up to me privately and they'll hand me an offering and they'll say, I want this to go toward this missionary. I want this to impact the gospel. I want this to go here. I, I did, God's put this on my heart. You know, when I look at the landscape of our church, we're not far from this. When I look at the work of God being done and the support of it in this church, I think heaps is a fitting term. Thank you for loving the Lord. And thank you for loving his gospel. Thank you for seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To close, look at verse 20 and 21. Somebody tell me what verse 20 says. Boy, I did a poor job memorizing this week, didn't I? I apologize. Tell me what verse 20 says. He did what was good and right. He was faithful. Remember what his father was? His father grew yet more faithless. But Hezekiah was faithful to the Lord. And what did God cause? God caused all that he did to prosper. Some of you are working with all your might. Some of you, your energy is going to trying to keep your head above water. Some of you are so upside down, you don't know which way to go. Get engaged in God's work. And let me promise you, my precious friends, you take care of God's interest, God will take care of your interest. You take care of God's house, God will take care of your house. What a mighty revival came to the land. They went from their lowest ebb under Ahaz to the highest tide with King Hezekiah. What an extraordinary time. Will the same be true in our nation? I think it depends. I think it depends on if God's people will humble ourselves. I think it depends on if we will consecrate ourselves. I think it depends on if we get back to pleasing the Lord. 
You know what spiritual maturity is? Spiritual maturity is when you feel about sin the way God feels about it. See, that's why as a pastor today, I don't want to issue a list and say, well, you can't listen to these songs and you can't watch these movies. You can't subscribe to this on Netflix and you can't wear this and you can't go here and you can't. We're not going to. No. That don't produce spiritual maturity. But do you know what spiritual maturity is? It's when you begin to feel about sin the way God does. And it's when you say, Lord, is that pleasing to you? Oh, no? Okay, then it's gone. That's maturity. Paul said in Corinthians, our aim is to please the Lord. Is that your aim in life? So rather than your preacher saying, do this, don't do that. No, do you know what you need to do? As you go through your daily life, you need to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you need to always be asking, Lord, does this please you? Is this good? Is this good? Is it good? And when the Holy Spirit says, sure, then enjoy. And when the Holy Spirit says no, then be quick to obey. And you'll be on your way spiritual maturity. If you enjoy the daily broadcast of Awaken to Grace, then I want to invite you to subscribe to our podcast. You can get our podcast wherever you get your favorite shows. Simply search Awaken to Grace Weekly Sermons.